Welcome to Reframe the Podcast, helping you reframe your thought patterns, habits and mindsets to create the life that you want to lead. Today we are chatting with Becky Scott and Becky is founder and instructor of Misfits Workouts. Becky is a leading voice in the anti-weight stigma movement, the health every size movement and a non-diet approach to fitness and well-being. Becky promotes a holistic approach to fitness, one that's not about aesthetics. She's more about building confidence than muscle, more about losing inhibitions than inches. She has so much wisdom to impart and I would just like to personally thank her for her kindness because she let me record this twice after I forgot to hit record the first time. Enjoy our chat. The start is for you to just tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are, what you do and how you came to be doing what you are doing. Thank you, Rose. Thank you very much for having me. My name is Becky and I am the founder and instructor from Misfits Workout. Um, we do dance-based exercise for people who don't feel at home at the gym. So my uh, audience is often people who uh, are anxious about going into exercise spaces for various reasons, but the most common ones tend to be because they feel out of place because of the way that they look or their confidence around being in fitness spaces. Um, I've been uh, an instructor for almost two years, not qu- not quite, nearly two years, and started doing classes in the community locally. And then since lockdown, I've been doing them online. And this part of me that sort of has realized that I should have been online a long time ago because it fits really well with what I'm doing. Like people who don't want to go out to exercise because they feel... Um, uncomfortable in fitness spaces feel much more comfortable to exercise in their own homes so I wish Mm. I'd thought of it sooner but that's one of the positive things to come out of um uh like this lockdown situation sort of fell into becoming an instructor sort of by accident really I've been blogging about uh fitness uh, as a plus size person and about kind of moving my body without a weight loss kind of approach and uh, had opportunities through my local council to get involved with the This Girl Can campaign as an ambassador locally. And then there was some funding and lots of encouragement from my uh, instructor, dance teacher at the time to train as an instructor. And I sort of started off thinking, I'll give this a go and see what happens. And here we are two years later and I'm getting invited onto podcasts to talk about it. (laughs) Yay, super exciting. And what do you think is that difference? So you you started by saying, you know, creating a a kind of safe space for people to to exercise. You may not want to go outside or go to the gym. Why do you think that's important? What does that difference make, you know, creating that space to people and engaging in movement? It takes away some of that anxiety. So people have anxiety or often from previous traumatic experiences either in fitness spaces or just in life that means that they assume that fitness spaces are not set up for them and are not going to be welcoming hospitable places Uh, like some of that is from their own experience some of it's from the experience of others Um, and so that's the difference it's about having somewhere that you can feel safe and uh, exist for me in a fat body but there are lots Mm. of other reasons uh, that people come to my classes that is without that kind of uh, judgment Um, it's a judgment-free space Um, so I think I think that's that's what it is it's about being able to be free and yourself without those anxieties or worries that you might have Mm. if you were going Mm. into a traditional fitness space but actually that's interesting in itself isn't it that 
you know, it begs the question, what is it about traditional fitness spaces that makes them feel a little bit hostile? Well, <laughs> mm. Ooh. I, Ooh. I can think I of think... one Instagram who got on my tits this morning with a post. I don't know about you. I don't know if you saw him, but I thought, oh, you're the reason why. <laughs> well, and I think that's it. I think there's an awful lot um, of the fitness industry can be a wonderful place if you yeah. look a certain way and you have a certain aesthetic like you are praised for for the way that you look or the definition of your muscles um somebody putting in the same amount of energy or work who doesn't have that same aesthetic can be approached and said and like like I was where you someone comes up to you and goes good on you you'll get there the sort of assumption that uh, I was there to lose weight five years into having gone to that gym like you know it's there's a lot of those kind of like microaggressions that come from yeah. being in a fitness space when you don't look the part. Um, and there's a lot around sort of uh, thin being the healthy way to look and fat being like assumptions are made, like the weight stigma and fat phobia is rife in the world. But in the fitness industry, it kind of takes it up a notch because that is the space where you go to make changes. Therefore, if those changes are not happening, there's assumptions made that you're not working hard enough. And that just isn't the case, actually. So it's about having somewhere that you can go and be uh that's free from that rubbish. <laughs> yeah. And it, it absolutely it isn't the case. You know, and there is this kind of we've, you know, been sold and bought into this theory that it's just a matter of, you know, willpower and work hard enough, but actually most of the individuals who is who um, meet that aesthetic or are succeeding in that space are doing that because well half the time if not all of the time they have that genetic disposition anyway. Yeah. But equally, I don't know if you would agree that those spaces, as you say, if we if we don't make them safe and accepting and nice places to be, and we continue to make the emphasis on meeting a particular body shape or size or or weight loss, in the same way, if someone goes to the doctor and the conversation is, you know, going for their sore elbow, but the conversation is constantly, you know, well, whilst you're here, can we have a conversation about your weight? We're going to push people away from health promoting behaviors, aren't we? We're going to create that space, that distance. You know, who, yeah. who want to? Oh, definitely. Like, definitely from my own experience and other people that come to my classes, I, in my, um, like in my youth, I was a dancer. I did ballet, tap, and modern through like until I was in my early teens. Um, but because I wasn't in a body shape that was going to be able to go on point, I was not. Like, and I didn't really want to mess up my ankles for a hobby I wasn't ever I didn't think I could ever be a professional dancer so I gave it up but I gave up the whole lot because I thought if I can't do it I'm not doing any of it I'm not going to be a dancer so this is all a waste of time um, so just literally got rid of the whole thing and then found myself doing workouts that didn't bring me joy or taking part in PE that I hated um, and not really like recognizing that dance was exercise which sounds stupid to me now but at the time that's what I thought it wasn't in the list of exercises that you know you, that burnt calories or whatever therefore it wasn't valid and I think I've had like a lifetime of trying new things and basically at the point that my weight would plateau which does because that is science um I would then give it up and think oh well it's obviously not working it's obviously uh, and that was my only motivator and if your only motivator mm. is something that is not possible like you will lose interest whereas if you can find things that you enjoy whilst you're doing them and that are 
recreating either during or immediately after then you are more driven to take part in those behaviors and therefore like that's better for everybody surely yeah definitely <laughs> absolutely but it's, it's practicing isn't it it's practicing acknowledging what those things are yeah and you know we were so used to kind of externalizing our measures of success when it comes to exercise you know I've worked with clients who um you know they will jog by the side of the bed to close their rings oh really watch. yeah yeah or, or stomping up and down the um kitchen in order to get to their 10,000 steps yeah or because that's the that, that's the point oh I've succeeded that that's you know that the box I needed to tick um and actually you know one of the first things I do is encourage them to take their wearables off mm. um and engage with exercise without any kind of external measure you know just how did you feel did you go yeah. could you go for longer did it did you were you happier all afternoon did you find yourself snapping less at your husband that day you know what are the what are the other yeah. benefits did you come away smiling yeah exactly was it a good did you have a good time whilst you yeah. were doing it rather than the kind of yeah like hitting particular numbers does it matter yeah. um you know does it and is it actually the joy in the doing whatever it is you're doing whether that is dancing lifting heavy things uh i don't know yoga or all of it it all is all valuable and it all counts and helps us to improve our health and well-being and yeah. surely that should be the focus rather than hitting a number or and why is it that that number is the thing that makes us happy and successful like that's the other thing if 9999 steps makes you feel miserable and 10,000 steps makes you feel great like there's some questioning to do there don't you think yeah yeah hugely <laughs> and you know when we've spoken before we've talked about the the fact that where did that number come from and there's yeah. this kind of trust there's this implicit trust in the experts and I'm putting that in inverted mm. commas in the health and fitness industry that you know that these numbers matter um Equally, though, I think it's important to say, you know, in a formal fitness environment, the things people can experience that can be negative. But how do you think or what do you think needs to happen to make a fitness environment or your classes, for example? What is it that you do that make them feel safe and accepting places? So I think it's about sort of managing expectations. It's about people knowing what will what it will be like. Um, no, like being friendly and approachable is obviously part of that but also like setting limitations about what things will be discussed so for example in my classes I've got um, a misfits mandate which outlines the um, kind of uh, rules if you like but it's not as it's not as scary as that about what is expected in terms of behavior and some of those things are um like safety measures like wearing proper footwear bringing something to drink uh making sure that you warm up and cool down but there's also things about like language that we use we speak positively about our bodies we don't talk about um weight like weight changes in either direction negatively or positively uh we don't talk about diets so it is free from that conversation which doesn't mean that it can't still be part of your life outside of my classes um but it means that that space is then held as a safe space for the people that are taking part in it. Um, and feedback from the people who come to my classes find that particularly uh, helpful that they haven't had in other fitness spaces. So people that engage regularly in exercise have found that in other spaces, those assumptions are made and they know that mm. mine won't have that. Um, so I think that is the biggest difference. And the same with 
uh, personal trainers that work in that way you know they have a lot of people that will approach them saying my aim is to lose a certain amount of weight and they'll say well you know we don't I don't work in that way but this is what I can offer you know these are the benefits that I can bring to you um is that something that works for you and then it's up to the individual isn't it to decide if they want to try that route um Mm. often still with the assumption that their bodies will change um Mm. but over time you kind of hope that people will learn that that is not the only aim here that there are other benefits that you can feel like how do you feel when you're doing it do you feel stronger do you feel have you are you experiencing less pain are you uh, experiencing better mood like what what are you getting from this to realize that those are the benefits because that's more likely to like last beyond any body changes that happen and make the most difference to our well-being both physically and mentally and surely that's more valuable than the way our bodies look yeah or a number on the scales <laughs> definitely yeah, exactly. which you know we may have got oh sorry um you know we may have got to that number through unhealthy practices and as yeah. you say there's, there's this assumption that if you are you look a certain way or you um weigh a certain number that you are healthy but we know from science we know from studies that that isn't isn't the case yeah i mean there's people of every body weight that is that are both healthy and unhealthy that have healthy behaviors and unhealthy behaviors you know there is no set benchmark of where right suddenly you are healthy and you will live longer you know it's not as clear cut as that we are we're not machines we are human beings with you know lots of other things going on both internally and externally that have an impact on it and it's not just about the weight or the size that's not the only thing how do you think your relationship with exercise do you feel it's changed over time by engaging in exercise in this way I mean before then were you engaging in exercise you know driven by weight loss or driven by those kind of that external fear which is a crappy motivator but you know the one we're told to yeah definitely I mean I think I think all of the exercises that I have engaged in over the years I have found enjoyment in them like uh, oh actually no that's not true I went to a spinning class once and hated it I hated every minute of it (laughs) but generally speaking um, with the exception of spinning and running which I didn't like I didn't get much joy from running either but all of the things I've tried I've been involved in martial arts I've done all kinds of different dancey stuff Um, I love a bit of Zumba I love um, circuit like circuits I really like a good quality circuit or boot camp style workout um, I like those kinds of things, um, but f- for most of my workout life, from about the age of like ten up until, well, into my thirties, I if it, the point of going, the motivator was about weight loss. So when that stopped happening, I lost interest and then would move mm. on to the next big thing that was going to change, change my life. Um, whereas actually, when I it was finding Zumba actually where I started to think like this is the one this is the thing that's gonna save me and I have not given up exercise since I started doing Zumba but my focus I I added more classes in each week and my body didn't change and I was like do you know what I actually enjoy it and I'm feeling other benefits so it kind of happened by accident at the same time sort of reading around like body positivity fat liberation things around Mm. health every size like the kind of the planets aligned at at a time where I was I happened to be actively engaged in exercise um that I realized that there were other things but it it was 
most of my life has been the other way like stop start like trying things giving them up um so it's kind of nice now to still try things and give them up but there is always always a constant that I'm doing some sort of exercise as and when I feel like it but most of the time most most weeks there will be movement you know yeah um yeah and it has to come from that intrinsic motivator doesn't it the fact is the common thread listening to you now is I well I bloody enjoyed it <laughs> if I enjoyed it I kept doing it <laughs> and that's I mean that's kind of it like for my class like idea of doing my classes I really enjoy Zumba I did consider being a Zumba instructor but I felt like there were um, that by becoming level two qualified and having the ability to kind of create my own stuff, which I know you can do as a Zumba instructor, but creating my own brand rather than subscribing mm. to someone else meant that I could really sort of direct it in a way that meant something for me. And for me, it is that kind of joy, the sort of fun aspect, a little bit silly, really, sometimes that kind of part of it and picking my own music and picking my own choreography and moving my body in a way that I like and that the people who come to my class is find joyful like meant a lot to me you know making something that's really sort of built around what makes me happy and hoping that other people find it yeah. makes them happy too yeah and <laughs> it that it, I think it, you know I don't know if you agree but on the journey to having I like to use the term like a peaceful relationship with food and exercise um we do have to turn back inward don't we we have to try and find you know trust back in us because over time we're taught and I think I don't you know I, I tried to think about this the other day I was thinking about when does that start when does that conversation start is it at school with you know other children is it at puberty when you begin to feel a little bit alien in your body and you're naturally putting weight on you know at what point do we go from being the children that intuitively eat and move and you know just get on with our day to questioning everything I think we're told quite early on aren't we like the idea that uh our sort of it, my youngest is eight and I know that he has already talked to me about the eat well plate <laughs> you, know, you know he already knows that you know you're supposed to eat certain amounts of certain things that in order to be healthy and he talks about good foods and bad foods and all of this stuff which obviously I challenge and we discuss yep. other options but the school is telling him that this is what health looks like and this is what you should and shouldn't eat and that these uh, you know that that is the way that we live now my kids obviously live in my house and know that that is not what I subscribe to we've got a lot of fat liberation uh, intuitive eating literature around like they see me reading books they ask what it's about like they're not um they will make their own decisions the same like I don't make decisions about what they eat I'm vegetarian my children aren't like if they ask me why I don't eat meat I tell them but that it's their decision to make not mine and I feel quite strongly about that so the idea that they're coming home and telling me about good foods and bad foods mm. like fills me with horror yeah. <laughs> because yeah. there's no such thing you know we have they have desserts you know uh, they have meals they understand that there are foods that are nourishing and that are um, you know that will give them different things but there's nothing good or bad about food it depends on the time and the place and what you're needing it for if you need an energy boost or you need you know if you need something that's going to make you feel full for a long time like you know toast is perfectly fine mm. for that carbs are not bad like carbs are an important part of our diet 
um mm. and you know it's there's so much around that so I think we're taught it from a very early age also households will have that kind of diet culture-esque stuff going on often there will be mums that are dieting those behaviors are seen by the children that becomes normal like mm. there's no kind of question around it that's what that's what mainly women but it's not just women uh, that, that's what we do the adults are don't have the biscuits or the sweets or the cakes because they are they're being good um, yeah. and you see kids like role modeling that like they start to practice those behaviors because they think that that's what you do mm. or you know. question am I bad because I've had that you know, yeah. like, mummy doesn't eat the biscuits because she's being good, but I eat the biscuits, yeah, you know, yeah, and it's yeah. bringing, it's bringing our awareness, isn't it, to the language we use around exercise and, and food, and also bringing an awareness to how our inherited kind of beliefs and rules may play out as anxieties that we then put on the kids around, yeah, like, you know, do, do, do you really need that? <laughs> or even subconsciously, you know, I, you know, the, the kind of thing I've seen play out with clients is they say, well, you know, I don't eat, you know, I let the kids have pasta, but I don't have it. I'll have a bowl of soup. And I say, but what message are you sending your children? Do you really think at the age of, you know, 15, they're not looking and thinking, well, what, what's wrong with the pasta if mum won't eat it? Um, it's interesting you say that recently the kids asked why they have pudding and we don't and I think it was to see whether or not it was because you know pudding is for children like we don't have that it's too we're being good and I said like we have bigger meals and I'm not hungry after my yeah. meal like that's why we don't have pudding also like from from when kids are really little like toddler age you're taught you know that you give children lots of food and lots of variety and that should really include some you know it, you've got more more chances of getting food in them if you yeah. give them lots of different things so that's that's the what we've always done we have a main meal we all eat the same thing together and then uh, the children will have a pudding from a variety of things that they can pick from of various nourishment quality but usually something sweet and tasty um but and they said, you know, like, why don't you have, why don't you have pudding? And sometimes very occasionally we will have pudding, but actually whilst they're having pudding, we're doing the washing up, putting the stuff away. Um, and I'm usually full because I've eaten my fill from, from the meal, you know, and that's, and that is fine. Like it's not about restriction there. It's about choice. And if I did want it, I would have some, or mm. I might have something to eat later on when they've gone to bed. So mm. Um, but I did think it was interesting that they had noticed and asked and I thought yeah. that will be happening in other households under other circumstances and they'll get a very different answer yeah. so yeah and I just it's it is interesting there's no right or wrong really like we're all doing the best no, with the information absolutely. we've got and um you know there are different ways to do things but I it just feels like our culture this sort of diet culture stuff is teaching people um habits that are not like they're not life affirming they're not things that will encourage a long and happy life it's yeah. you know a life of restriction and uh, calorie counting and stuff takes up so much time that could be better spent doing something more interesting yeah. well I read a, I read a statistic I've read two statistics recently one that the average woman spends 17 years of her life on a diet 17 years I can believe I mean, it I've spent more my, than that myself definitely um and on average we'll try 500 different types of diets Wow. Yeah. 500. I mean, now, if you think to yourself, 
how much of your life, if I could say to you, I'll give you 20 years of your life back, what would you do differently? Um, it's bringing our awareness to that, isn't it? How much of ourselves we sold out into diet culture? Exactly. Like, for me, like people say, I don't know how you find the time. And I think that is where my time comes from. I'm not planning yeah. meals. I'm not obsessing over those sorts of things. It gave me enough time to do a fitness qualification, start a business. I still work full time. So that happens around it because I'm not spending time do mm. doing all of that stuff. You know, it's it's amazing how much time it yeah. takes up. Definitely. And you're not <laughs> exhausted through lack of lack of food and no, energy. I'm I, yeah. And I do, you know, there is a very real cycle based around um, restriction and lower energy and the production of serotonin and feeling low and depressed mm. and therefore then not being able to get ourselves out of perhaps um, more erratic eating behaviors and it interrupts our sleep. And actually it kind of gets missed in all the calories in, calories out, bro, kind of fitspo talk that our psychological and our phys physiological relationship with food are so highly interrelated. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And I would I would imagine like at this point, the beginning of uh, February, there's a lot of people that have started their New Year's resolutions that yeah. are now like I think that's probably part of why the mood at the moment is so low as a nation like or as a world is because there's so many people that are going through all of this terrible experience and difficult, challenging time on on really low calorie intake so yeah. they will be even more miserable and uh not feeling you know nourished and happy in their bodies um i think there's also an assumption that if you are in a bigger body that you you know like have donuts for breakfast every day and stuff but it's not about that either there is like there is some middle ground here like listen when you really truly listen to what your body needs that includes all of the like traditionally good stuff as well you know lots yeah. of fruit and veg and all of those things um but it's about not restricting some of the other stuff when you feel like it or when your body needs it and by having it as like being open to having whatever means that you don't ever have that restriction so you don't then feel that you have to have loads of it because you don't know when the next time it's mm. going to happen again is so yeah that there's food, definitely a lot there food neutrality isn't it and you know the minute we stop the minute we give ourselves unconditional permission to do many things in life the easier our relationship with it becomes yeah isn't it? yeah definitely so so in your opinion what do you think is important to bear in mind with regards to having that healthy relationship with our, you know, with food, with our body image and with exercise. I think it's about like being in touch with your own kind of like body rhythms. And that sounds yeah. a bit kind yeah. of uh, no. uh, hippie-ish, but um, like I spent most of my teens and twenties being told not to trust what my body was telling me that I wasn't hungry, that I should just have a glass of water and that I should move more. And that I remember on one particular thing, I started going to like a weight loss um, gym program where I started exercising and then I was hungrier and I needed to eat more and I like yeah. met with one of the instructors and said like I'm really trying but I'm like ravenous I'm really hungry and they were like well you just have to you just have to eat less 
And that was like the answer. And I'm like, but I'm really, really hungry all the time. And of course I was hungry because I was moving more. I was exercising regularly. But rather than, but that was not like, no, that's not what we do. Like ignore what your body is telling you. This is definitely enough food for, for all bodies. Um, and you sh- you'll be fine. Just keep at it. Whereas like it didn't last very long. Um, no. But, and I think, yeah like listening to the cues of our body like we're taught to ignore them and that they're wrong but actually they're probably right like what is it that your body needs is it food is it movement because sometimes actually I feel like just having a dance around the kitchen while I'm cooking the dinner you know because that's what I need in that moment um and that's what I do and and yeah you know there are limitations on that sometimes we can't do all of those things but most weekends we'll go for a big dog walk or you know there are nice things that are good to do that are uh, make you feel connected to people and make you feel like moving your bodies and then there's other times where I just want to sit on the sofa and watch a film snuggle up under a blanket and that is good too like that serves purposes in other ways but yeah like being more in touch with intuitively moving and exercising and eating is is the thing I think that we all need to like listen be present in mm. what's happening rather than work living to a some sort of plan that somebody else dictates our bodies know what they need yeah and it's the only way to make anything sustainable in my opinion you know I Mm. think you know there is no way you can sustain anything if it's coming from an external source of you know fear or um a set of you know we've talked about before how we you know externalize um our measures of well-being you know, we've talked about diet culture and kind of the, the 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 impact it can have on how we engage with food and how we engage with movement. But how do you think it negatively impacts our overall well-being? Because our health, our well-being is so much more, isn't it, than just, you know, well, you eat this and do that three times a week and jobs are good. And There are so many things that impact on our health and well-being, like, and so many of those things are kind of ignored. Like, we're told that the things that will have an impact on our health and well-being are eating usually less but eating nourishing food and moving our bodies more but there are so many other things like there's social determinants of health which is kind of a sort of catch-all term for loads of different things that impact on on things that are beyond our control you know there's things to do with the postcode that we live in and access to healthcare. there's things around our genetics there's things around our race um you know all of those things pay, pay an impact and most of that is not something that's within our control um, and certainly for a lot of people it's not in their control you know if you live in a poor area and you don't have the ability to move to another area with bit better healthcare, like that is not something within your power no matter how much people tell you it's a choice it just simply isn't um and certainly around our our bodies too like we can do we can do healthful behaviors that will make a difference to our to to our health to our mental health to our well-being to um our strength our um reduce our pain and all of those things feel connected to our community whether it's a literal community where we live or an online community all of those things have an impact and it's not just as simple as the calories in calories out um and like you said before it's sustainable it's something that you can keep doing and that will keep making a difference Mm. and making us feel you know like feeling those benefits it doesn't just have to be about one particular way that isn't sustainable like there's time for a change there 
Uh, yeah, definitely. And I don't know if you agree, but you know, the the kind of people that are selling us the the diets and the one size fits all, you know, buy my menu plan, buy my shake, you know, they're benefiting most of the time from um, genetic and thin privilege. You well, know, absolutely. They totally are. They totally are. And I mean, one thing that I think is worth looking at is how many of those weight loss companies, diet companies, shake, sell my shakes are, how many of those are like not for profit social enterprises and how many of them are actual businesses that are making an awful lot of money? Because if it's a business and it's making money, then they are selling you a product. Like it's not about, it's not about making the world a better or healthier of a place. It's about making somebody somewhere much richer um, and you know the diet industry and fitness industry is built on that it's built on money making and if you can get people to aspire to buy a product that they will always always need then you'll keep going yeah. back like that's the idea yeah. like yeah. the idea is that if we find the fear from the fitness and diet industry is that if we teach people that there is another way like how why, they won't need us anymore like we, we'll unhook them from this need but actually like there's a different way you can sell something that people enjoy doing you know like it doesn't have to be something that is feared or bought from shame or all of those things there's so many more opportunities but the fear from the industry is that if you if we're not like aspiring to be smaller then we'll stop buying those products and some of them we definitely will stop buying but there are other things that we can still do but look at it through a different lens and enjoy it in a different way I mean how do you think then as a fitness professional we can support a shift away from diet culture you know if we've got if you've PTs listening to this now people training in the fitness industry people working in the industry how can we support that shift away from these quite often not healthy behaviors around exercise and, and movement I think there are like there's two things here like the um, work that I'm doing with the fitness professionals against weight stigma or FPAWS for short um, is around providing uh, training and information to fitness professionals both that are aspiring fitness professionals and already working in the industry and it's around understanding what weight stigma is uh, what our traditional qualifications or training has taught us about this and where the truth is there so um, it's providing things around the research that actually uh, doesn't support this kind of weight-centric approach and also around um, the like lived experience of people that are ex that are going into these fitness spaces and the challenges that they are having in the way that they are being made to feel and that like says a lot you really feel quite a lot from that around how there is a need to change here and then it's about like providing practical stuff around how do you work with bigger bodies like what are the things that you should and shouldn't say you know there are things that I can say to people in my class because I'm in a bigger body that would not be okay if they were said from somebody who was half my size mm. um you know like how do you navigate that because there's a lot of fear there about saying the wrong things or yes. offending somebody or you know so about offering like training and support about what that looks like and how that can be and giving people confidence that it's okay to say these things and do these things and practice in this way and the benefits that it brings um, and I think over time the um, that community that is working in this way that is much more kind of uh, 
uh, you know working against weight stigma to try and make these places happier places for everybody I think that we'll start to see a culture change because it will be much harder to kind of push back against it when you're seeing the the positive outcomes yeah um, and people don't want to believe that that is the case so it's very easy to dismiss it because we've been doing it this way for so long so you know we're seen as kind of like a niche but that's going to grow people will realize that there are other ways to do things and once clients realize that that's an option and start to request it you know at the moment it tends to be like one instructor in a gym if you can find one locally but I think that that will grow over time and there will there's a you know a growing network we're supporting each other we're building each other's confidence up that it's possible to work in this way and have clients because that's the other thing like there's a fear that if you don't if you move away from the weight loss model that you won't get clients um but the evidence is there that there are people that want that and that will grow as people realize that it's an option if you don't if it's not available you can't try it and you don't know if it's going to work so I think it's a kind of there's both sides of it more training and support for professionals so that they can deliver work in so they can work in this way and also encouragement and support for clients that there are safe options out there so I think it's kind of both like it's okay to ask for this you're not asking for something that is you know a fantasy this is this exists and here are some examples of it and Um, it exists and it's growing isn't it it is it is growing and that's so it's so exciting it's it's really exciting um but I think we talked about you mentioned there about weight stigma and I think we kind of have a responsibility to to talk it's not just people's um you know people, people think about fat phobia or fat shaming which are you know really important things to think about but we we also need to make people aware especially in the fitness industry um of the health implications the negative health implications of weight stigmatization because i yeah, don't definitely. think people know because they just assume they assume mm-hmm. weight loss equals good health but actually what we know from lots of studies don't we is that weight stigma can have a very direct impact on people's health oh definitely the idea that like these kind of behaviors around shaming people or making them feel bad is helping them to motivate them it's just not true it actually has the opposite effect and makes people less keen to try exercise um but as well as that as well as weight stigma being an issue there there's also things around like weight cycling so the idea that losing weight and putting it back on and losing weight and putting it back on which is the traditional like cycle that we see in the fitness and diet industry that is more like has more health implications than if you just stayed at the original size in the first place and like for someone who spent a lifetime circling through that like I worry about the damage I've done but I've said like no more like I'm going to do healthy things to improve my behaviors but I'm not going to go in that cycle because that's that's really unhealthy so the combination of that and weight stigma in general the fact that it stops people going to get the healthcare they need it stops people exercising it stops people feeling okay to eat in public all of those things that the shame that comes with that and the stress and the impact that that has on our health is much more damaging than the fat itself mm. like there's yeah so much there and that like these weight stigma can affect people of all body sizes like you don't have to be um at the super fat end to experience weight weight stigma it's it is a scale you know the bigger you are and uh 
the the less able-bodied you are the more stigma that you experience because because I'm an instructor and because I can move like I get less grief than somebody who was in the same size body as me that perhaps might be in a wheelchair or walks with a stick because assumptions are made about their health or their uh, their abilities based on their appearance and actually like there's no there's no difference we're not more or less valuable because we have a disability or ability we're not more or less valuable based on the size of our bodies like that should not be a thing we should all be valued yes. we should all be respected we should not be dehumanized because of our appearance it's, it's madness and when you start to unpick it you think i can't you, you know this is not something that I can just sit back and allow to happen we've got to do something about it yeah and I think I think you have to start getting angry you have to start getting cross because at the minute you get cross that anger it's what propels the movement isn't it you know and I I've mentioned to you before and um when we've chatted previously about I'm qualifying at the minute to work with active eating disorders and a lot of the reading material I'm, I'm covering um is sections on predisposing factors and we can't pinpoint you know they, they, it tends to be a perfect storm for individuals that then enter disordered eating mm-hmm. patterns but the one behavior that sits at the beginning in almost all cases is someone who's engaged in a diet mm. it's terrifying isn't it to think yeah. that yeah. to think that um, the, the thing that we think is going to save us is the thing that leads to more like more difficulties and more challenges and distress absolutely and I think I don't know if you agree but I think we have a responsibility you know I think Karen Preen wrote a post this morning which I thought was um really pertinent she said if you keep you know health professionals keep putting I'm gonna be really inarticulate I can't remember exactly what she wrote but something along the lines of you know if it was really about health if you're really worried about health why don't you make your environment somewhere safe and accepting to be? Mm, exactly. Yeah. You just think, yeah. And it's I don't know true, how, any, how anyone can read it and not go and question. It's bringing awareness, isn't it? Because they, and, and I think the reality is that lots of people working in the fitness and health industry come with, you know, and even in my world, you know, people who didn't go down the same route as I did and who went down the more traditional nutrition health coaching kind of lane um come with the intention they still believe what they're doing is helping people oh yeah definitely definitely like there's um uh with the work that we're doing with against weight stigma um with fitness professionals against weight stigma we get some examples sent to us and you see posts from personal trainers or gyms that are like i'm trying to save your life like you know like they're getting angry too that they're sort of you know Mm. people are like like you all of this nonsense like you're you're causing more harm like they feel very passionately the other way but the fact is like fitness professionals are not lifesavers like they're not there to to, they're there to support and bring about healthy behaviors and bring about change they're not like they cannot change all of those other factors they are not a doctor they are not their healthcare professionals they don't know about all of those other things like stay in your lane lane. deal, deal with the bit that is your responsibility and as a fitness professional that is about healthful behaviors around movement and if you have some sort of nutrition qualification and you want to talk about what you can add to improve your uh, diet in the broader sense of the term then fine but if you don't have that like don't 
like don't get involved in that stay yeah. in your lane yeah and, and <laughs> what do you think about our next generation as well you know we're both mums um I have it's really interesting watching I have friends whose children are in co-ed schools so mine eldest are a teen and almost a teen and both of mine are in single sex schools They're the local ones here are single sex and one of the things they said about the all girls school which I thought was really interesting is they said by being in an all girls school girls are more willing to engage in exercise in a way that they wouldn't if they were under the male gaze at school as teenagers at that really that stage in our lives where we become really self-aware and our you know we talked before about where does that happen where's where's that point in time where everything shifts for us um you know how do you think we can protect the next generation I don't think we can because it's still so insidious I think we've got such a long way to go but how do we start having those conversations at home within schools if you're a teacher you know if you've your kids already coming home and saying well you know mommy don't eat that because my teacher says if we eat too much of that you know we had I had one um Instagram follower who is a ho- uh, a teacher said her child came home from school from a home ec class and she'd taken in normal mayonnaise and been told she, she shouldn't use that because that would make her fat. Oh, oh my yeah. goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff wow. to unpick there. There's a lot there? of stuff to unpick there. But when it is so insidious, and it's so insidious in all these, where we, you know, in our own home environment, we can exert a little bit of control, can't we? We mm. know that we talk about food in a more neutral way. We talk about our bodies in a more neutral way. You know, we can control that. But the minute they're outside that door and my kids are that bit older, you know, meeting their friends and their friend says, oh, well, I'm not having carbs. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. <laughs> I, think I think you just have to like talk openly with them, don't you? And answer mm. questions and let them know that there are alternatives, like that there are more, there's more than one way to, to view food for example um there's a lot around kind of education about these things particularly in schools um i know that molly forbes has got a um uh, like does training for teachers in schools to help address some of these uh, mm. issues particularly around like body image and movement and that kind of thing more broadly um and it's something that i'd quite like to get involved in i'd like to do workshops with um sort of teenagers who are pe refusers um and yeah. their parents so yeah. something around trying to make a connection with joyful movement being a shared experience with a parent and i know that that's going to be a difficult sell particularly with this uh with with students who are already not engaged in PE but the option that there are other things like PE doesn't have to be your only experience of exercise like their PE teachers are very limited with what they can offer they've got to deliver it to 30 kids at a time you know this is about finding your own niche and your own thing that you enjoy not under the gaze of other people within the school you know that this can be a personal thing that can happen outside of school um, and trying to sort of unpick some of that stuff around body image and about why we feel the way we do about our bodies and that it's possible to engage in exercise for the fun of it because that's not something that you're taught in school like it's competitive which like for some kids that is fabulous like I'm not saying we should lose competitiveness in sport in school because for some children that is the only thing that they've got that brings them joy and they deserve that too so I'm not saying that we get rid of like races and stuff because they're great but it was a painful thing for me I hated it hate PE hated everything about it 
Um, <laughs> and so many fitness professionals say the same thing. So it's about like letting people know that there are alternatives beyond your bubble. Like there are other things that you can experience and try that might help you. Um, and I think if you can create a space where children and their parents are both unpicking those things, then you hope that perhaps that that will bring some conversations into the home as well. Yeah. So that's and, an idea I've got, but you know. <laughs> well, I think it's a brilliant idea, really brilliant yeah. idea, and so important. And the reality is that they are the next generation of little mouthpieces, aren't they? Yeah, I, I will I will not forget my middle coming home recently and they'd had a PSHE lesson and they'd it'd been around food and things. And one she'd stood up because they'd been told someone had said, you know, you should never drink a fizzy drink. And she put her hand up and said, I don't agree. And she and, and, yes. and argued back. And then she like also had create, she had to create a logo um, for a belief she had. Um, and it was a B and an E sat under each other and she'd drawn all flowers around it. And it was a home on the side. And I said to her, what does that, what, what is that? I'm going to say squid. She's going to kill me if she ever listens to it, but she won't because I'm not cool. So she won't. Um, but, <laughs> and uh, she said, um, so it stands for body equality, mum. Oh, Wow. That and must have I been a real proud mum. It was. And there was that moment where I went, you know what? There are so many days where I think, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not doing well enough as a parent. And then that was one of those moments where I went, oh, Rosie, you're doing it all right. Yeah. So, I've yeah. got I've got it here actually like I mean not really helpful for a podcast but I found um this that my eldest oh, had made this, said, is, this is just my mum okay and then inside it says my mum is amazing in so many different ways here I'll list them she is great for hugs she is super nice and kind she is a good cook um she perseveres and then and then there's another bit she's so impressive she does classes uh and she's amazing and then there's a bit about what misfits is and like how it's a clever name don't you think i'm really proud of my mum for creating it uh, i'm so proud that she's traveling around the world to teach them she's going to london to see a person with tons of followers that was tally rye and oh, on wow. some social media i love my mum and like she's written about our merchandise like it's just oh absolutely God. it's Becky, just amazing so lovely <laughs> that's it but that's it You're, you are modeling what yeah. that can look and like the idea that, that, that my child is proud of like their fat fitness instructor mum it's just like it's, it's the same thing like yeah. that proud moment You're just like, yeah this is <laughs> this is worth it and the yeah. reality is that you and I probably part of us start the whole kind of healing our relationship with food and movement came from having our kids mm, yeah um and sometimes that's where it has to start because it's easier to do that because we're yeah. conditioned to do that, to think about others first. But when you see it reflected back like that. Yeah. yeah. You realise that 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 really matters. And I didn't yeah. make it sit down and like write that. Like it wasn't forced. <laughs> write that mum's cool. my t-shirts? No. <laughs> and it is a brilliant logo and it is a brilliant brand. Misfits is... Yeah. It, brilliant it says what do you hope it says what do you hope your brand says about what you do well I like the fact that it like it's a play on the idea that you can like in the in that book um Hazel's written that it's like misfits equals weirdos but also links to like um, 
women who exercise and although it's not just women I have uh, like lots of different people that come come to my classes but it and it and none of us are weirdos but we are in the marginalized group within the fitness industry we're not the mainstream fitness people as a rule um and that's what it is it's about like creating a space for the people that are on the outskirts and making them feel like they belong um like and by not belonging we belong if that makes sense yeah um and yeah it's kind of that's where it came from and it's yeah I really like I really like the name and it fits with what we what we do yeah. and it sounds fun and sounds a bit silly and that yeah. like fits perfectly with me <laughs> yeah. fun joyful bit silly but it doesn't and, take and itself too bit, seriously no, don't take itself too seriously and that little bit nonconformist all the things yeah. I like best in people Becky yeah. um, and where can people find you um your classes where could they go if they wanted to find a health every size fitness instructor where would people go um so for my classes uh you can visit misfits workout.co.uk forgot my own website then should I say that again yeah it's misfitsworkout.co.uk or I'm at misfitsworkout on Instagram um and for um the work that we're doing with the fitness professionals against weight stigma the um website is againstweightstigma.com and it's again at against weight stigma on Instagram uh and in terms of finding health for every size uh, instructors, we will eventually have our own uh, uh, um, like directory of instructors within our fitness professionals against weight stigma uh, website, but that is a kind of coming soon part of it. But um, there are lots of places that you can go to the health for every size website. Um, that's managed by Lindo Bacon has got a list of professionals that ha- that are assigned to being at Health Every Size. And the other place to look is the Super Fit Heroes website. They do um, plus size active wear. They're based in America, but they have um, practitioners from acl- across the globe, uh, including some in the UK. So you can search by postcode and find if there's somebody nearby. But there are a lot of us that are doing things online. So um, looking for the hashtag Health Every Size on Instagram is a great place place to find practitioners and people like Karen Preen and yeah. various others um School of Strut is another great one if you like to dance um they do they like her classes are amazing and the fact that they're online is brilliant like they're very sassy like fabulous confidence building like there's loads of people out there doing amazing work um have a look at my follow list like the people who I follow on my Misfits workout account there's lots of great stuff there Tally Rye is another great one she shares lots of things that people are doing so um yeah there's lots of places to find out more amazing thank you and thank you so much for being here with us today and just to finish you're so welcome I'm very grateful um and (laughs) I should tell my listeners this is the second time we've recorded it because I didn't hit record the first (laughs) and if you could stand on top of a mountain and send one message out to everybody, what would that be? So I'm going to pretend that I'm thinking about it, but I'm going yeah, to say have a thing. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, I did think about it the first time round, but I now know what it is I want to say. You know. And it's about like, look within, like listen to your own gut, like listen mm. to yourself there's a lot more worth in what you've got going on there than you give yourself credit for question things if things don't feel right to you question them you don't have to listen to what other people are telling you you don't have to listen to what I'm telling you do your own homework do your own research find out what works for you and go with that 
like you don't have to believe what the diet industry is telling you you don't have to believe what the fitness industry is telling you find your own lane find your own community and people but listen to what's going on in here that's the important thing trust yourself definitely yeah build some trust with yourself yeah absolutely it's an amazing place to start thank you again becky i really appreciate you joining us today it's been a pleasure thank you for having me Thank you for tuning in and we hope you're able to take something of value away from today's episode. Perhaps one small action you can put into practice today. If you are enjoying Reframe, then please do subscribe and rate the podcast as this helps us reach more lovely listeners. As always, here at Reframe Club, we are rooting for you.